My first job was with my dad. He was an electrician. He took me with him to hold the flashlight for him. Then I started working at a pie bakery. Now that was a delicious job. Then I went to college and landed a job in customer service at Budget Rent-A-Car. Then I got a job as a bank teller. The first time the head teller brought me a stack of hundreds, I looked around for the FBI. Then a position to open up at our UPCI headquarters in the IT department. So I went to work working on websites until the end of college. I've had some pretty good jobs in my life. But there are those jobs. The ones where you feel sorry for the workers. Where you drive by in your air-conditioned ride as a road crew is patching the highway with molten lava on a 90-degree August day. And you thank God that's not your job. You could have been a bicycle brick delivery driver. Or a lion manicurist. Or a landmine remover. Or the toughest yet, a substitute teacher. It would be easier to deliver bricks on a bicycle through a field of lions and landmines than to walk back into middle school as a sub. Think of how your class treated your substitutes. Unless you were homeschooled, you probably have some sordid stories about substitute teachers. Rich does. His teacher was too sick to come to school that day, so the school called for backup. But it was spirit week, and Rich dressed up in a suit and tie, came to school, which wasn't exactly his junior-senior class dress code. When the actual substitute showed up for class, there were two well-dressed people in the room. And Rich knew his class, but the sub didn't. It took a little bit of time, but Rich convinced the actual substitute teacher that he was the actual substitute. The reasonable, seasoned substitute left and left Rich in charge. We think we're pretty clever and creative, but we've been treating substitutes like that for thousands of years. Even Aaron, Moses' older brother, had his day in class as a sub. Moses had climbed to the summit of Sinai to hear from God. That left Aaron in charge of a couple million people in the middle of the desert. What could possibly go wrong? Good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to No Graven Images on Simplify. Moses has been away for eight chapters of our Bible, and over those weeks, the people were getting restless. They didn't know where Moses was, or even if Moses was. Maybe he lost his way in the darkness. Maybe he died atop Mount Sinai. Maybe he built a house and opened up a Dunkin' Donuts on top of the mountain, and he's not coming back. But they wanted to worship someone or something, so they scouted out Aaron, Moses' newly minted substitute teacher, and demanded, make us gods who shall go before us because we have no idea what happened to Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt. They knew they needed to keep marching, but they didn't want to march alone. That's why they begged Aaron to make them gods to go before them. But there's a problem with making gods. Gods we make with our hands cannot heal us or help us or provide for us or protect us. That's why God's second word to his people forbade them from making gods which would prove powerless when they needed them most. The first word, which we heard last week, is, You shall have no other gods before me. It deals with whom we worship. The second commandment is a Siamese twin to the first, and it deals with how we worship. You shall make no graven images. These two commandments seem simple. So where did it all leave the rails? Well, we can't possibly produce a God that truly represents the living God. 
You could build a 24-karat gold tower that makes Mount Everest look like a speed bump, and you would still fall woefully short of representing how awesome and mighty our God really is. Now, God knows us. He created us. He built within us the need to worship. Israel could have begged Aaron for weapons or food or medicine or maps, but they asked him to make them gods because everyone will worship someone or something. Even people who don't worship God still worship. They may worship success or their job or their fitness or their money or their children or their stuff, but God is the only one worthy of our worship because he's the only one able to save us and heal us and help us and protect us and provide for us and fight for us and keep us and comfort us and watch over us. God knows no other God will be able to lift a graven finger to help us. So he forbade us from making any other gods to replace him or represent him. Yet Aaron still set out the offering plates and the children of Israel brought earrings by the armloads. The Egyptians gave them gold and silver on Israel's way out. God's people didn't know it, but that gold and silver was supposed to be to build the tabernacle for them to worship God. Aaron went right to work. He fashioned all the gold into a molten golden calf. And when the people saw it, they said, Ah, there it is. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, when you read this story, is anyone else incredulous? How could they? They just watched Aaron fashion a golden calf out of earrings they just brought. Yet they had the nerve and the naivete to claim this calf brought them out of Egypt. This calf couldn't lift a cloven hoof to part a mud puddle, much less the Red Sea. Then Aaron took one idolatrous step further. He built an altar before the calf and proclaimed, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. While he tried to manage a classroom of two million restless middle-agers and middle-schoolers, he still remembered the Lord, not Bessie, brought them out of Egypt. Aaron tried to tiptoe on a razor-thin tightrope between monotheism and idol worship, but it seemed too much for Israel to worship God without trying to figure out exactly what does he look like. Have you ever wondered what God looks like? Maybe he looks like an old man with snow-white hair and bronzed arms outstretched atop the clouds. Maybe he has sunbeams shooting from his hands. Maybe he looks like a 30-year-old American with light skin, blue eyes, flowing brown hair, and a blue sash over a gleaming white robe. Some cynics call Christians crazy for worshiping a God we can't see and touch. But the problem with idols is they can't see or touch us. They certainly can't help us. You can build them bigger, build them higher. It won't help. Israel's enemies made their gods more intimidating, more imposing to scare off their enemies, but they were still just still statues. One of their favorites was a god called Molech. We stumble over a familiar, chilling phrase over and over in the Old Testament. Parents caused their children to pass through the fire to Molech. Molech was the national god of the Ammonites. The statue for Molech was a man with a bull's head that towered over everybody. A fire raged inside, heating up the metal statue. And parents willingly climbed the steps to that statue with their own children in their arms. And they placed their firstborn child in the red-hot hands of the statue. As flutes and drums played in the background to drown out the screams, the child rolled out of its hands into the furnace. We read these passages and shake our heads. How could any parent sacrifice their own flesh and blood, firstborn to a metal statue their neighbors built with their own hands? And yet they did. And there was Asherah, 
and Baal and Chemosh, and the list just keeps running of gods the Canaanites worshipped. Each of those gods had an image to represent them. The Canaanites, Israel's new neighbors, had Baal bless this house plaques hanging above their doors. That's why through the second commandment, God wanted his people to know it's all right. In fact, it is right to worship the invisible God without a visible image. Because God's people aren't like other people. God's people walk by faith, not by sight. Some in our world demand of Christians, give me empirical evidence to prove your God exists. That's fair. How do you worship a God who only speaks to your heart? That's a fair question. Yet we do. And although we have not seen him with our eyes or heard him audibly with our ears, at least most of us have not, we still love him. We believe him and believe in him. We believe he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We don't worship like the world worships and that's okay with God and it's okay with us. The obvious prohibition of the second word God gave to Moses to give to Israel to give to us is don't make any idols to replace or represent God. Well, check that box. You could come over to my house, but please take off your shoes. Not because you're standing on the holy ground, but because, well, the floors are clean and we want to keep them that way. Search every nook and cranny, every corner and closet in our house. I'll give you as much Dr. Pepper as you need to stay fueled. You can search from morning till midnight and you won't find one carved, graven, or molten image I worship. And most likely you have the same story, but don't skip this episode just yet. A while later, Israel is still wandering through the wilderness and Numbers 21 reads, the soul of the people was much discouraged along the way. Their discouragement spiraled into disrespect. They were tired of manna for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They wanted God to do something about it, so he did. He sent them fiery serpents who bit many of them, and many of them died. They ran to Moses, we're so sorry. Tell God we're sorry. Tell God to call off the snakes. And the Lord told Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who was bitten and looks on it will live. Sure enough, as soon as the sick people looked on the brazen serpent, they were healed and they lived. But rather than worship God who healed them, they brazenly worshiped the brazen image. Israel started off so well and ended up so poorly because they gave glory to the creation instead of the creator. Now this sounds a little more familiar. For us, it could be a cross or a prayer cloth. It could even be a person. Some clutch to a golden cross for a miracle or to prayer beads. Some believe the right preacher praying over the right prayer cloth is magic. Others will fly from city to city, service to service, just to get one minute with a faith healer so they can be healed. All the while, the healer is right there in their own city, looking for them to look to him. Let's not make any idols or make anything God uses to work a miracle an idol. Thank God for the who's and what's he uses to work miracles, but thank God, not the who's and what's. A wooden cross on a chain cannot help. Neither can a prayer cloth drowned in olive oil. But the one who sees our faith and hears our prayers, he can help, and he will. The words of the second word ring clear to us. Nothing to replace or even represent God, because there is nobody like our God, and there is no people like his people. Because God's people walk by faith, not by sight. I'd like us to pray right now for the Lord to help us to trust him. Even if you can't see him, even if you've never heard him audibly with your ears, ask God to help you to trust him, to look to him, and never allow anything to replace or even represent him. 
Jesus, we love you. You're the almighty God. You are the image of the invisible God. You're the one we look to, Jesus. You came as man in flesh. I thank you, God, for who you are and all you have done. I ask you today, help us not to have any idols, nothing to replace, nothing to represent you, nothing we have to see because we have not yet seen you. We know one day we will see you as you are. Help us, Jesus, I pray, not to fall into this idolatrous trap. Help us not to try to mix worship of other things in with worship of you. I ask you, Lord, help us to stay true to you. Help us to be faithful to you and help us to worship you and you alone. We will always give you and you alone praise and worship. We love you, magnify you, worship you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Simplify listeners. Be sure to subscribe and share. and You won't miss any episodes, neither will any of your friends. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. You can pick up 10 words, which is exactly where much of this content comes from. It's a book I wrote back in 2021 that covers a practical look at the Ten Commandments. And so that's where we are right now in our walk as we've walked out of the Book of Beginnings and into the Book of Exodus. We are right now looking at some of these Ten Commandments. So pick up 10 words. A practical look at the Ten Commandments has much more content than what you've heard and just shared here. And then you can also pick that up at Amazon for Kindle, or you can pick that up at Paragraphs Bookstore if you live in Mount Vernon, Ohio, or the Knox County, Ohio area. You can also pick up Simplify, the devotional that launched this podcast to help you if you're maybe rebuilding your walk with God. It's a good tool and a good book to help you to rebuild and grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. We're nearing 145,000 downloads. In fact, by the time this episode airs, we will be over 145,000 downloads. So thank you to everybody, all you loyal listeners, and be sure to let others know about Simplify. In fact, when you go to PentecostalPublishing.com, use promo code SIMPLIFY and save 10% off your entire order. It is a single-use promo code, so if you've used it before, sorry, you can't use it again on your account. But if you've not used it before, get 10% off your entire order. Next week, we take a look at the third word God gave to Moses to give to Israel to give to us. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.